welcome to the Postmodern Art Podcast, the podcast dedicated to giving artists who are wowing the world over the platform they deserve. I'm your host, Nathan Ragland, and as the witching hours of Halloween are right around the corner, it's time to highlight an artist whose work truly encapsulates the feel of tension and unsettling creepiness that begs the question, are you scared? Today we have Jabberwick, an Australian artist whose spine-tingling illustrations of their beasts are a sight to behold. This was a fantastic conversation, one where the passion was truly on showcase, and I hope you all enjoy. Make sure you support them with the links down below. If you enjoy the podcast, this is your first time listening, feel free to like, share, subscribe, or follow whatever streaming platform you prefer, however you want to listen to your podcast. Also, feel free to leave a five-star review if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts and leave a wonderful review. You can take that support one step further by going to the merch shop at pmap.creator-spring.com to where you can see incredible designs made by some outstanding artists. Also, tomorrow is the last day for you to take advantage of the PMAP Anniversary Sale by using the code PMAP1 to get 25% off your order. Finally, if you want a place to talk more about this podcast and other outstanding ones in the Apocalypse Podcast Network, consider joining our Discord server, where we can talk more about this podcast, maybe something like Stranger Than Christian, there's a plethora of different podcasts to talk about, plus, you know, we can share memes, there's already a wonderful group of people in there, we just need to make it a little bit more active, and we could do that with your help. In fact, let's hear about another stimulating podcast in the Apocalypse Podcast Network. Because this virus attacks the lungs. It's never more infuriating when you realize that your life has a price tag on it. The truth of the matter is we are in the middle of an apocalypse. There's no leadership. I went from being an ER nurse to you're a healthcare hero. I feel like a sham. Apocalypse Now is a podcast that asks if we are living at the beginning of the end. I'm Joanna Van Thine. Join me as I talk with interesting people and decide if we're all doomed. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And now, without further ado, please enjoy the Postmodern Art Podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me onto this. It seems like it's like a delightful little project, something (laughs) that I definitely enjoy being a part of. Well, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to sit down and chat, do all this kind of stuff. Uh, (laughs) Hell yeah. My producer, Tipsy, was the one that kind of led me to your direction, and Mm -hmm. like I saw yourself, and I'm instantly like, I need to know more. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Is your wall green? It is green. I'm glad you noticed. Oh, my entire room is green. (laughs) I mean, technically mine is, is green. I mean, that's, it was when we moved into this house. Uh, this is whenever I was younger. This is actually my older brother's room, but my room is wow. over there. And I also yep. had that room green. Green is one of my personal favorite colors, which I'm sure we'll Me? talk about Oh, more. can you tell from my artwork? My, yes, I am. <laughs> no, I never would have guessed. <laughs> 
So yeah. I just I just thought you were going for a uh, an organic feel with your drawings and oh, stuff. Oh yes, yes, yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, there we go. <laughs> I do want to say real quickly, you appearing on this podcast marks a first for the podcast because you were the first Australian to step up to the to to the plate to be a part of the podcast. <laughs> Hell yeah, that's awesome! Uh, Hallmark for Australians. Exactly, exactly. It's <laughs> it's funny. Um, so I'm personally trying to get into voice acting myself, and um, mm-hmm. there was a student project that someone did. They go by uh, Proxy, or at least I know them as Proxy. And one of the things mm-hmm. they were asking for is they wanted uh, someone that could do an Australian accent. Now, again, I'm trying to get into voice acting, so I decided to throw my yep. you know, name in the ring. I sent him like a couple mm-hmm. lines based on the script, and then he's telling me next day, yep, you got it. And I'm like, do I have that convincing of an Australian accent? <laughs> Australian accents are very hard. So I've got, I've got an Americanized Australian accent, so my partner is American. And so you can hear that my R's are really... Uh, rolled a very very American R, whereas Australians say R. Ah. They yeah. don't. There's no. It's like it's like a more of like an A noise. That, that's say partner. That, I was, partner. I was gonna say that's something that I noticed. It's like the uh, the vowels or whatnot are a lot more accentuated and a lot more like stressed yes. out when it comes to the, the Australian accent. You gotta yeah. really like nail it down. Somewhat halfway yeah. decent here and there, but you know. I, I, yeah. I, so I, you. I went, I you're went, leaning so, into the eyes too much, but you're you're ah, pretty close. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Even then, I like the one I did right there. That's like the you know the stereotypical you know oh, I'm Steve Irwin. That's like the super Steve stereotypical. Steve Irwin. <laughs> yep. That's yep. the stereotypical. Bless well, his. Bless. Rest in peace. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I went with more of like a it was it was more of a lower, somewhat lower, like almost somewhat British esque, but not really. But yeah, again, mm. I was just trying to get like. You know, my name out there. You just get, you've got try. the essence of it. I got the essence of it. That's good. What's funny is, mm-hmm. um, so like, again, I'm an American trying to do an Australian accent. And then mm-hmm. there was the person that was uh, acting across from me or whatnot is a legit Australian voice actress. <laughs> oh, there you go. So I'm hoping. There ho- you go. I'm hoping my accent doesn't seem weak in comparison. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the, uh, so the the last thing I, you know, I mean, again, it was a student film. And, again, I was just glad to have the experience more than anything else, you know. And, yeah, and totally. it's nice to know that if I really need to, I can dip into some of a halfway decent, you know, Australian accent. <laughs> It's halfway decent. It's pretty decent. It's pretty good. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, Discord hates me with a burning passion, and I do not know why. Um, Love that. So if, if for whatever reason... I just dip out of the conversation. That's not... Uh, okay. So you're dealing with a shitty Discord. I'm dealing with Australian internet. And Australian uh, internet is is just... Uh, it's awful. And so, yeah, look, we've got the same problems for different reasons. To be fair, I do watch a good bit of uh, Australian YouTubers and such, uh, especially ones that like game online, especially with people in America, and I'm aware how bad the internet can be for you guys. Yeah, it gets, it's so bad. It used to be worse because I used to live up in the bush. Oh. Uh, I used to live uh, pretty much like I used to live really, really rural mm. and um, like Banjo Country rural. <laughs> and, oh, my God. The internet up there, it's like it's like a potato. It's a potato. You just your modem is a potato. <laughs> I, I I just want to say I love that no matter where you are in the world, the universal sign of there's no sign of life here is the banjo. Uh, <laughs> yes, the banjo. Yes, the banjo. Yeah. Anyways, um, of one of which I have actually. I'm really, uh, I really am a true country person. I have a I have a banjo. 
I mean, there's a, trust me, I'm out in basically bumfuck nowhere USA and, and like <laughs> nowhere Georgia. So like, yeah. I I totally get that, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, also. I got a little dressed up for the occasion because I figured this was gonna be the Halloween episode, so I decided to get somewhat. I am also up. a little. I am also a little dressed up. Oh, I've lovely. got my, my bits and pieces on. <laughs> I was gonna say I don't know. <laughs> so I, uh, I'm also a big like wrestling fan. I don't know how well you're even vaguely aware of it. I know I, very little about wrestling. Fair enough. I think it's an incredible sport, though. Absolutely, absolutely. Especially whenever you get like a uh, you know. Even past, like, the sports aspect, when you get to, like, the professional wrestling, the WWE and such, you know, all those, mm-hmm. like, like the athleticism that goes with it. Anyways, that's aside, yeah. from, the point. That's aside from the point. Um, I'm dressed up as a former WWE wrestler who went by the name of Bray Wyatt. Um, he was the <laughs> nice. he was the host of the Firefly Funhouse. Think Mr. Rogers mixed with Halloween, as in, like... Oh, that sounds very fun. And by Halloween, I'm talking about like Michael Myers Halloween. As if there's a good mm-hmm. chance this guy is going to kill you, but at least you're gonna potentially yeah, nice. learn something. <laughs> nice, I love that. Absolutely. I feel like I could maybe get away as being like, like I've got a kind of like maybe like a Lestat kind of vibe going on. Yeah. Um, I was I just gonna, need some fangs. I, there you go. I was gonna say if nothing else, you look like you're part of the Malfoy family. If I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> there you go. All right, Jabber. Before we really get going, I must ask the icebreaker question that I'm at least starting to ask with these podcasts. So let's Uh say, I mean, it's kind of ironic to affect you're Australian, but my point nevertheless, let's say you get the opportunity to go to a deserted island on your own accords. It's just going to be you there with your own thoughts and you know, whatever you get to bring one piece of media or one piece of art with you to help make sure you don't go completely insane on this island. So if given that opportunity, what would you bring with you? This is always a hard question. Mm-hmm. Like I can think of like a handful of things that I would absolutely off the top of my head take with me. But the the one thing to stop me going insane. Cuz I basically yeah, I do. I basically already live on a deserted island. <laughs> I live in Tasmania, which is a tiny island off the southern coast of Australia. Uh, and there's like like it, I've got such a small population. Like the town I grew up in is a population of 800 people, so um yeah, uh so what comes to mind is so some of the media that I am abs- that I'm influenced the most by is uh, Leica Studios. Okay. Uh, their work is some of my absolute favorite. I could watch it a million times and not get sick of it. I particularly love Box Trolls, Paranorman, Coraline, uh, yeah. that kind of thing. I would likely take the art book for one um, of those films. Which one? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I need to think about that a little bit more. Um, I feel probably I- Paranorman. Um, I have. <clears throat> I was gonna say I feel like they have like a uh, I'm sure they have like a combined like you know, best of or like a combined art book with like the yeah, past however many yep, years something yep, like yep. that. I have the Paranorman art book, Ooh, um, okay. and it is I I cannot recommend because so like Leica films aren't really made for like merchandise. Like mm-hmm. you look at you look at Disney films like Frozen and all of that, and they're really made for merchandise. Uh, yeah, Leica yeah. films aren't. And so there's not a lot, great deal of merchandise that you can that you can get of the films, but they always release like stunning art books, and I cannot recommend. They are just such such rich reservoirs of inspiration. Um, but yeah, I'd probably take one of those. I was gonna say, if nothing else, I know for me personally, Coraline always has like a soft place in my heart, so I would love to see like the art book that went behind that one. Ah, um. oh, Coraline is so good. <laughs> I really, for me, it's like kind of it's kind of like one of those um, books where uh, one of those films where it really did the book justice, I think, because I, 
I have read the book and it was it was delightful. Um, but and and I kind of went into the film being like, all right, what are they going to do with this? And I, it is it's so good. It's awesome. The aesthetic, the you know, the the the, the props, the sets. Uh, I was listening to a guy talk about um, how uh, it was like an interview, and they were like, it's amazing the sheer uh, reach that our artists have. They were like, he was talking about how they needed someone who could make these little wooden masks. And I believe this wasn't for Coraline. I believe this was maybe for um, uh, Cubo and the Two Strings. Oh, okay. And they were like, they were like, oh, yeah, we've got a guy in the art department that does that who has a history of making miniature wooden masks. Hmm. Like that kind of that kind of flexibility and like that sheer amalgamation of creativity among these people I think is amazing. I mean, if nothing else, I feel like this podcast is a perfect uh, accentuation yeah, on that point. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. It, it, by the way, if there's anyone from Leica Studios that is watching this podcast, for one reason or another, you're more than welcome on the podcast. Just give me a heads up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Please, contact us, please. <laughs> I might bring you back just so you can have that conversation. Um, but, oh, yeah. But nevertheless, an art book from Leica Studios, is that what you're – are you locking in the answer? Is that what you want to bring with you? I think I'd lock that answer in, yeah. I think I would take the, the VizDev book or the art book from – from one of my one of my favorite Liker Studios films, yeah. Then if that's the case, I can't think of a better way to start the Postmodern Art Podcast. Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Nathan Raglan. Uh, feel free to subscribe or follow whatever streaming platform you prefer. I'm a part of the Apocalypse Podcast Network. Go to apocalypsepodcastnetwork.com for more about this podcast and other outstanding ones in the network. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PostModArtPod for future updates and guest announcements, including today's guest... <coughs> They are an illustrator and artist with a plethora of creatures and monsters in their repertoire, like rats, wizards, jabberwocks, and more. Welcome to the podcast, Jabberwick! It's me! <laughs> so you... good to be here. I'm, I'm so, I felt so excited to be invited onto this. It seems like a really cool project. Well, once again, I'm going to give a major thanks to Tipsy for leading me in your direction because I wanted to, for, because this is going to be our Halloween episode. You know, we're right nice. around, Halloween is right around the corner and I want yeah. someone that really gets like an aura when it comes to what Halloween can be, kind of the, the, mm-hmm. the horror, the creep, the, the, the tension mm. that can go behind the atmosphere. it, the atmosphere. Yeah. And I saw just, I, I saw several of your art stuff and I knew immediately I needed to get inside your head and figure out what <laughs> what warped you to get to this point because you've got some Thank really you. like intense and creepy stuff that I will definitely shower more praise throughout. But before we really jump in, <laughs> before we really jump into what you're currently making, I just want to go back just a little bit or maybe longer. Uh-huh. I, I I don't ask for age. Um, I want to <laughs> I want to know the origin story of uh, Jabberwicks. What exactly got you interested in art in the first place? I have been drawing my whole life from okay. from when I was like could hold a pencil. I've been drawing my entire life. Um, I grew up in a very ramshackle family of artists. Uh, my father is a potter. Uh, my uncle, his his identical twin, is a professional mime. My mother made clothing. Um, our our grandfather was a musician. Our grandmother was also a potter. Like I've just I've grown up surrounded by art. Okay. And um, so getting into it was like that was always really I, – I feel like I was so lucky to grow up in 
like an atmosphere that promoted creativity like that. Yeah. Um, uh, like even if we have our disagreements, it's like yeah, we're we're all we're all artists, you know. So uh, yeah, I've been drawing my whole life. Yeah. I was going to say, I know I've had a couple of guests beforehand that have basically kind of, I, I guess you could agree whenever I say this, they've basically nurtured into art in one aspect for another. Yes. Kind of yep. just mm-hmm. having that, being surrounded by that. I mean, if there mm-hmm. wasn't anything there before, it certainly sparked something after the fact. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that, um, yeah, my, like my mother and father are both very, like, really creative people, uh, my mom especially, and, um, and like, I don't know, like, I grew up with interesting art, I grew up with, like, comic books and, and like, all of that kind of thing, so, yeah, I don't know, I, it's just something that I've always been surrounded by. I mean, if nothing else, the, uh, the uncle that's a mime, I mean, that's just a good conversation starter, yeah. except the mime can't Shout out to talk, Uncle so. Dennis, <laughs> yeah. My uncle, yeah, he's a professional mime. Um, he's a mime artist, and it, uh, I believe, I, I believe that it actually runs in my family. So my uh-huh. grandfather was also a mime, and I believe that, I believe that, his grandfather or uncle or something like that was also a performing artist in that regard. Yeah, my uncle is mime. He's been on like TV shows, uh-huh. which is, which is cool. He was on like. He was on, uh, but but like like you know like Australia's Got Talent that kind of thing, um, and he he works professionally on cruise ships, oh, um, okay. doing performance art, which is like okay, <laughs> it's I awesome. Mean, whatever pays the bills, something's got to pay for the uh, yeah. the the fake car that you know mimes can do. Anyways, um, <laughs> exactly. So exactly. So from someone that's basically been like grown up and nurtured deeply rooted in art from, you know, a young age, when did you go from just, you know, uh, a part of your life and just, you know, a love that you genuinely have to a passion and then making it your career? Um, so that was relatively recent. That has been over the past probably four or five years. Um, because this is where I really, I get very, very, um, like, I believe that art is a skill. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that when you grow up in an artistic uh, household, that it's it's a skill that's encouraged. It's like if you grow up in a family that loves sports, you know, or or music, or you know, it's a it is a nurtured skill. Um, but I learned how to think when I draw okay. relatively recently, and the switch. Oh my god, it is like it is nuts. This like. Figuring out like my direction, figuring out what I wanted to do, it was stuff that I've always been doing, um, stuff that I've been doing since I was like a teenager, artwork that I've been doing since I was a teenager, but I fluctuated so much in what I drew, in how I drew, in what I was influenced by. And I feel like over the past few years, I have just been consolidating. And I've been like being able to look back at my my own art history mm-hmm. and I've been able to be like, this is what I liked from this this little era. This is what I liked from this era and cherry picking them and taking them and just sort of like wrapping them up. And I mean, like, like I, yeah, I don't know. I I feel like I, I hit a stage of like actually learning to think when I draw and that really, really changed how I approached art. And it made me feel like, okay, I feel like I've got my hands on the wheel now and I, and I, and I understand what I'm trying to do and where I'm trying to go with it. And that helps push you into a, um, like a professional atmosphere, I think. 
I mean that I I can certainly understand where you're coming from. Just kind of like after a certain point, it's not just you know oh yeah, there's art around me or you know I love doing mm-hmm. art here and there. It's just I know what I want to do and I know how to, yes. I need to know how to do it. Exactly. Yeah. That process that is the biggest like that is like the biggest hump that you have to get over essentially. Like um, if if you're wanting to do what I do. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing. Like, I think that there's two ways of seeing um, art, but like, okay, so for example, I see a lot of, of these videos on YouTube and it's like these people who are just, it's all about the skill. And it's like, if you're not grinding your art skill, then what what are you doing? And I disagree with that. If it, I, I think that art is so subjective and it is so like you do with exactly what you want to do. Um, for me, I really, really wanted to push myself and I wanted to push my work. And, um, it felt like, it felt like, um, because I don't have a formal education in art. I did notoriously bad at school. I, my highest level of education is year 10. Okay. I did year 11 twice. I failed it twice i then attempted an art course and i failed that colossally i just i don't do well in educational environments um it's like that like late diagnosed like it's like i just feel like so it's so typical of that like late diagnosed autistic person Mm -hmm. which you know and i feel like it was so um like because of it i felt that there were these gaps in my knowledge of like how to teach yourself things because it's like it's one thing to be like oh i need to learn anatomy but it's another thing to be like actually i need to learn how to learn it it's it is being able to observe things and critically break them down and take from them what you want to do is such a skill and you have to learn how to develop that and it was essentially like i got to the stage with my art where i was like i feel like i feel like i don't know what i don't know what i want to do I feel like um, I have this idea of what I want to do, but I don't know how to summarize it. I don't know how to package it up and 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 make it. And so what I started doing is I started turning to um, like it started off with like just trying to really basic like learning tools. Um, I uh, like found looked looked up like I watched so many videos on like. On like how to compose an art piece, like composition. Like I went right back to my bare basics. Like the hardest thing regarding like figuring out what you want to do is like unlearning all of your really terrible habits. Mm -hmm. And your bad habits aren't usually like, it's not like your skill. It's the way you're thinking about your art. And it's the way you're thinking about like what you do in yourself. Um, And so I sort of like went back to bare bones basics and relearned composition and relearned like... I'm, at the moment, I'm still kind of relearning anatomy. Um, and I started to like look into like what artwork really fucking inspires me. And I was like, how do I make stuff that feels like that? And I, and it was when that's when I started looking into Leica Studios. I started looking into Caroline, into Paranorman. I was like, what is the quintessential thing that these films have that make me go, that's delicious. And I want to, I want to make that. But yeah, it, it really did feel like, for the majority of my life, I was fumbling with my art and I was, didn't know how to make decisions and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And it was only when I really stopped and started observing things really critically that I was like, oh, I, 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 I'm kind of starting to get it now. I'm starting to understand things. I'm starting to think when I draw. 
And um, that's what kind of, yeah, really pushed me into the like, into the wanting to do it professionally because I enjoyed, I think that's the biggest thing. Like I enjoyed the learning part of it. Um, Like if you want to push yourself, totally do it, but you also have to enjoy it. You can't be like criticizing your artwork and being like, this is bad or like, Oh, this, this needs, this needs fixing. And I don't like it. It has to be like, yeah, Oh yeah, I see what I was trying to do. Like, you, you can't be hating on yourself, essentially. You know, like we're all just fucking learning. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that I think that that is like I feel like that's the hardest part of art, though. Like figuring out what you want to do with it. Right, right. I mean, even then, like you know, it, it it's always a struggle leading up to that point. But whenever it just hits just right, and you know exactly what you mm-hmm. want to do. It just opens mm-hmm. up a world of possibilities yeah. for you. Yeah, it feels like it feels like your brain's been blown open. Like it just feels like, oh my god, yes, oh, I get it. Like, I, and I know, I now know how to make an image feel and communicate this feeling. Um, so, like for example, like uh, I use lots of very very tall compositions. I am yes. a I use I love portrait um, because I love when it feels like something is looming over you and you can accomplish that so perfectly with a very, very tall composition. Um, I would love to branch into landscape and I've often thought about how would I capture that intimidating looming feeling but in in uh, landscape instead of portrait and um, like I've sort of talked to my um, my boyfriend a bit about it. And I think that I would make it like, I wouldn't just do portrait. I would do like a really long, thin portrait and make you feel surrounded, surrounded this way instead of, instead of loomed over this way. You know, it's about like thinking about how to achieve for me. It is about thinking about how to achieve a certain atmosphere, a certain feeling, a certain character is like essence, you know? Um, and then like, and it's almost fun, like, um, taking it out of my comfort zone. Like I use lots of very dark colors. Um, and so how would I achieve these feelings with light colors? You know, and you have to make decisions about, you know, oh, to, to maybe achieve these feelings with light colors, you'd have to go for more unsettling instead of like dark and creepy, you know? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I think I get the, a good feel and a good idea of what you're talking about, especially looking back mm-hmm. onto your own art and seeing just what you're talking about, both with the portrait, but I can only imagine mm-hmm. like putting that into a landscape, you know, yeah. something like super thin, like you're talking about. Also mm-hmm. something that I feel like would help would be like, you know, layers, like even more layers than yeah. you would anticipate because it's one yes. of those, like, it'll get to a point to where it's like, when does this thing end? It's like, there's yeah. no end in sight. <laughs> Yeah, totally, totally, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I know you said uh, Laika was probably the biggest inspiration for you for what you're trying to go for. Is there any other inspirations mm-hmm. that you could think of that really accentuates oh what you want to go for? God, so many. Um, <laughs> I have recently – well, no, not recently. Um, her artwork has always been a really big inspiration of mine, but it's only recently that I started being able to like critically analyze – what in her work I liked and replicate it. Um, Mary Blair, uh, incredible artist, like such beautiful color design, amazing compositions. Um, one of my biggest, one of my biggest modern art influences, like literally just like 
an artist who posts online um, who I'm I'm so their work is just so incredible is um, Tanglefoot. Okay. Um, if you haven't seen uh, someone called Tanglefoot, they they're not as active online as what they used to be. But uh, when seeing their work, uh, I first found their work years ago. I've been following them for like seven years, but it was the first sparkle of like someone is really like making decisions in their artwork, and I want to learn how to do that. Right. Um, Tanglefoot's character design is so incredible. Um, their compositions are amazing. Their characters are charming and funny and diverse and beautiful in their diversity, um, which I just uh, I love. I also love um, – oh, God, I love – who else? Let me think about it for just one moment. Uh, I love uh, Abigail Harding's work as well. Um their work is really, really incredible. They do a lot of like, um, sort of like Doctor Strange. They do like awesome, like monsters and tentacles and really, really, really beautiful stuff. Um, there's, oh, uh, uh, Michael, one of my biggest, one of my biggest influences. Sorry, I'm just like scrambling to my journal where I um, note down all of this stuff. Um, Michael Breton okay. uh, is probably one of my biggest influences regarding um environments i do a lot of environmental art and um michael breton did all of the uh was like the lead i think background designer in um the triplets of belleville um and he also did the he also did a lot of uh environmental development for box trolls Uh, um (laughs) yeah and so like that like really crooked buildings um that like really interesting, really tall compositions. His work is just oh, like gives me chills. I love his work so so much. Um, I can only imagine. Mm, so um, yeah, that's just like just a few. But I have, I have so many, and I unfortunately because I was so sprung on today, I haven't prepared for this as much as no. what I would have liked to. Um, but yeah, sometimes you just have a housemate move in. <laughs> Um, I mean, that's fair, but I mean, nevertheless, like I could just tell just from like you describing these artists or whatnot, like I can tell you definitely get a lot of inspiration, just how your eyes just basically uh, light up thinking about (laughs) their artwork more than anything else. I get so passionate about my, about my art inspirations. It's something that's really, really important to me. Uh, Like I'm also really, obviously I'm really big on like Studio Ghibli and all of that and all of the artists. um, Oh, uh, the artist for... Oh my god, his name is escaping me. Um, um the artist. Uh, the the artist who did like a lot of the concepts for Bambi. Uh, oh. his artwork was incredible. Um he's like he just works with um the most like he works with pastels okay. so beautifully. And his name is escaping me, and I really want to give it because I really love giving people these uh, artists to look into. Um, uh, Tyrus Wong, there we uh, go. Tyrus Wong was the was the uh, did a lot of the visual development for Bambi, uh, or I, it was either he did the visual development for Bambi or Disney was inspired by his art. He was seriously such not only an amazing person whose story you should absolutely read about, but also such incredible work um works with lots of delicious greens and 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 blues and pastel colors as well so yeah i can i'm really obsessed with 
and, and you know, as we're discussing like your inspirations and all these different artists and stuff like that, I think it's about time we address some of your more prominent features and your most prominent art. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll start mm-hmm. by asking this question: What is your obsession with green? <laughs> oh my god, I know, right? I would also like to know, and I wish I could pinpoint where it came from, um, but because I, in my brain, I had this, I was like, I. I started putting together, I was like, okay, how long have I actually been drawing with green for? Where does this come from? And it's been like all of my art. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was looking, I, was, I look through a lot of my old art very frequently because I like to see, I like to see what I was doing and I like to see how I could do it better. Um, mm-hmm. I just get like, I get a massive kick out of it. I love it. And I have been drawing and using green for a very, very long time, but it's only recently that I have really started to lean into it. And the reason that I wasn't leaning into it before is because in my stupid brain, I was like, oh, but my last picture was green. And in order for me to be a good artist, I have to show that I can, that I don't just work with one thing. But occasionally uh, it's fine if you want to work with one thing, you can totally do that. And I had to like learn that in myself. And then it just became like this all consuming, like obsession. I think that it stems from like, like, there are these characters who have this really strong green motif and they're often villains. Uh, look at Maleficent, uh, look at Scar from The Lion King. He had that whole Be Prepared song and there's great big green flames whipping about him and I just thought that was the coolest when I was a kid. It was. Um, and I really, I really love that visual um, archetype. Um, but I like, yeah, I just, like it was in my brain, I was like, I can't use green as much as I want to because I, I've already used it and people will get bored because that's what I make art for, right? Other people and not myself. Like, <laughs> I just, uh, you know? Um, but, yeah, my obsession with green has taken, like, it's not just in my art, though. It is in my life. I am obsessed with green. I have a green cactus light here. Yeah, I My walls are green. I dress in green. I am so obsessed with green. I don't know why. It's just my life. (laughs) No, that's absolutely fair. I was going to say, it's funny that you mentioned like having your artwork being all sorts of different green or whatnot. Mm -hmm. I don't know why this sparked a memory back in me, but when I was in high school or middle school, I think Mm -hmm. it was high school. Um, I was in one of my art classes and we were learning about like shades or whatnot. And to do that, like we, we like made pieces, but only use like one color, but different shades of it. And yes. Yeah. I didn't just like draw an image out or whatnot. What I like to do is I'll take like a single line and then draw out from the line to create like many different shapes yeah. to do like a trippy yep. image or whatnot. And for mm-hmm. some reason I was fixated on green to make that yeah. like image look like something else. Like I paid it's a over good it. color. It's a great mm. color. Like I remember it like, I, I use like super duper dark greens, like you know that was almost kind of a grayish or whatnot. I use like the lightest of green that looked like maybe like snow trying to peek at, or grass trying to peek mm-hmm. out of snow or whatnot. Like it was, mm-hmm. it, it was insane how much green I use. But like you're taking whatever little obsession I had there and just taking it to a whole different <laughs> level. Um, I also feel that green is like such. I think it's like a really good way to like nail the aesthetic that I'm going for. Like right. I really love this like deep well long hallways like very haunting and it's this really like ghoulish kind of green it's this it's very like it's very halloween you know <laughs> which is perfect um but yeah i think that it's like there's there i think there's a few things that really kind of like um combine to just 
just drive this obsession I have for green. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. I was going to say, I'm glad you actually mentioned like your aesthetic. Cause it actually leads into my next question. The, oh, nice. Yeah. The, the, the aesthetic that I kind of get from you is like, I think you kind of already emphasized it a little bit, but just kind of a, a, a creepy, just like looming presence or whatnot. And green certainly accentuates yeah. that, but especially with some of the, uh, enlarged and longed figures that you use. And like you said, using the thin portraits or whatnot, what exactly drove you towards that kind of aesthetic with your own artwork? Like what exactly about like those figures and that presence really like gets you creatively going? Um, I, okay. So I have, especially in my like older art, my stuff from like 2013, I feel like I go through, I went through kind of like phases of dipping in and out of this sort of this style and this aesthetic. Um, I, there's a few, I think it comes from the media that I'm really inspired by. Like my favorite character of all time is Nosferatu. And um, yeah. And, and so I, and I, I grew up with an obsessed, I was like, I was the vampire obsessed kid, but like, I really liked, I've always really liked the old school vampires. No hate on people on like, no hate on like the newer interpretations of vampires, but it was just like this, like, like this is like on the nose horror aesthetic of like Dracula that I just thought was so cool. Um, and, And I really loved like that classic feeling. Vampires is what kind of kickstarted my, my like aesthetic development, I guess. Okay. Um, uh, I have like, I started drawing these really old, like these really like, I say, yeah, I, I had like these characters that were super strung out and they just developed over time, I guess. But, um, my aesthetic comes from this. I've always, I've had a very, like very intensive interest in really traditional horror i think um silent film kind of horror uh nosferatu especially i was going to dress as him for halloween this year and unfortunately that fell through which i was really disappointed about but (laughs) yeah um but yeah and i think that because i don't think i think that this is an aesthetic that has been done before like i think that you look at it and you can you can see you can see like Coraline, and and a lot of people say like oh yeah like tim burton or like um nightmare before christmas it's like just this like darker kind of aesthetic i think that it's been done before and i think that it's like but i also like to try and do things that i think that i like and that i find interesting within it mm-hmm. um and i i was a, i was a tim burton kid when i was growing up uh which is funny because i like your taste changes so much i i have a lot of opinions on his work now um i'd love nightmare before christmas and corpse bride and all of that but um but it it's like it's hard because it doesn't it never really stemmed from one place it was something that i built up um over time it's it's almost like i'd need to show you you know what i mean this is where i can see that it started and this is where it is now um but yeah like building an aesthetic in itself is it takes like a lot of work i think um i'm especially inspired by i think that's the other thing i'm so i'm so inspired by art nouveau oh there you go and and i'm so inspired by oh my god like the borders in art nouveau they're just so beautiful and like um i'm really really inspired by um the movement of it all like it feels like the pictures are moving and that was something that I wanted to I was like okay how can I take that and capture it in within this way that I'm you know that I'm doing 
Um, but yeah, I think that it comes from horror. It comes from Nosferatu. It comes from Dracula, uh, Art Nouveau. But it also comes from like, you know, this amalgamation of sort of influences that I have. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I was going to say, fair enough. I mean, if nothing else, I've talked about this before on the podcast, but when it comes to, like, art journeys and stuff like that, it's never, like, a linear path. There, There's all sorts no. of different terms. There's all sorts of different sites to see yeah. along the way. I mean, as long yeah. as you keep going along this path and keep producing the amazing stuff you've been producing, I mean, who am I to question <laughs> how, many, how many times you stop for a quick break to, to catch the scenery, right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's totally it. <laughs> Yeah. What is it about horror in particular that like really drew you in and like really grabbed your attention? Like, is it kind of how it can create that tense atmosphere in scenarios that might seem otherworldly at times? It's interesting because I, so I'm actually not into, I'm not super into modern horror. I'm not super into horror as a genre. Um, uh, but I, oh, like, for example, I have never ever read Goosebumps. Okay. But. When I was a kid, I used to, because I was too scared to read it, it terrified me, but I used to rent the books out just so I could look at the covers oh. uh, because they're so, those rich greens, those purples and pinks that they use to, to make something feel like magic. Like, it's like those colors to me looked like magic, you yeah. know? And, um, and, and so I think that like, the thing that drew me to it was the aesthetic. It wasn't necessarily like, um, the, the tense feeling. And I was always more interested. I, I was always much more interested in, in like, like, um, like I love Nosferatu, for example. Uh, and he's the antagonist of that film. Um, but I was like, I, I want to know what, I want to know who this guy is. I want to know what, what his day to day life is like. Um, and I want to, I want, I don't know. I just, <laughs> I, Characters that are that are represented so interestingly, Dracula's cape and his costume and and the I, I keep coming back to the colors because it's what inspires me so much about that like about that like classic horror that like campy like cheesy like um like uh creature of the black lagoon kind of um like feel and aesthetic i think that's what draws me to horror more than the actual content of horror itself more than the the um suspension more than the it's like i i like stuff that's much more um i like subtle horror a lot more i like there you go. i like things that feel um like you know it's why i love cursed images i love liminal spaces mm -hmm. because you look at them and there's no monster there's nothing chasing you there's nothing coming to get you and yet you look at that and you go that makes me feel upset and i can't put my finger on why and i like that energy in horror more than you know like heads being ripped off mm -hmm. um it's more the, yeah. uh, the aura and the presence that these things represent yeah. more than the content themselves, more or less. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. I mean, it's, especially those, like, linear images, like, I, you, like, nailed it around the head. I don't know what is up, but the, something yeah. is off, and you know something is up off. with it. And, and, I, and I, oh, I love, I love, like, cursed images and, like, liminal spaces. <laughs> like, you know when you, like, you see a picture of, like, and, like, they've had the flash on, it's, like, flash photography of, like, a bowling alley. And you're like, I hate this. It yeah. feels <laughs> so cursed, and it feels 
but I can't put my finger on why. And, um, and I think that I really, really like that. And I feel like that I've married that to like this, like really like gaudy, ghoulish, like horror, classical horror aesthetic, I think. Or at least that's what I, that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> I mean, I think you do a really good job with it, with what I have been able to see, especially because the fact that you've basically created some of your own creatures that in somewhat mm. the same vein. The biggest one that I had noticed is the Jabberwocky or the Jabberwock. Yeah, mm-hmm. I am. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, my Jabberwocky. Yeah, I feel like. Um, so I'm a. That's. That's uh, that's another of my really big inspirations. Alice in Wonderland, obviously. Uh, I should have said that before. Um, I, but I tend to think, I think so scattered, you know. Um, so the Jabberwocky poem by that that is in um, Through the Looking Glass, um, Alice in Wonderland, uh, that's like one of my, I'm that's one of my things that I do. I, I write a lot of, I wouldn't call them poems but that's the easiest way to summarize them but it's more like i like creating stories that rhyme um and that is one of my favorite poems of like i love it i i don't know i just i love the way it sounds i love the way it flows i love the word jabberwocky and um like i said before when i'm presented with something that's like nosferatu um i love the essence of it but i also just like want to know what kind of guy he is like i want to know Like I said, like I want to know his like day-to-day life. And so I started playing with this idea. My character has gone through so many iterations, but all of my characters do. I think that's one of my biggest advices. If you don't like something that you're doing, change it. Like you don't, you don't have to keep doing something just because you've been doing it for a long time. You can change something that you like. Um, And so I kind of had with my character, uh, they don't actually have a name, uh, but like they're known like as like they're known as a few different names. They're known as like Lucille. They're known as Jack. They're known as like the white worm. Um, I found that I kind of like was experimenting with, um, I started experimenting with this very like leech kind of aesthetic because I'm very interested in vampires and then I wanted it to, I wanted to push it further. I was like, I, I, I want it jankier. I want it, I want it like more deep well creature. Um, and I started playing with uh, the old uh, Welsh sort of story of the knocker, uh, the creature that lives in knocker holes, which is like a big long dragon. Okay. And I thought that that was really interesting. And I was like, but I want it to be more than a dragon. I want it to be like a like a feral little gremlin dragon. And it was that, that I was sort of like, I feel like the word Jabberwocky really fits here. Um, and I saw it. So I sort of started reimagining what a Jabberwocky might be and what it might, um, and sort of like building lore around that. Um, and in my lore, a Jabberwocky is simply a human that was essentially adopted and turned into a dragon by uh, an old, a very, very, very old um, dragon, um, one of the Aram kings, as as I call them in my lore. Uh, but yeah, I really like lore. Lore building and writing is, oh my god, it's like my bread and butter. Um, <laughs> I'm obsessed with it. I when I'm not drawing, I'm thinking about my lore. When I'm not, you know, like I'm thinking about my characters all the time. And um, and I've got a few like made up creatures. Like I've got like um, Kuroko, which are these little 
um, they're like they're like a kind of like a forest troll, and I've got like if which which are humans that are that avoided their death, and so they just like cannot functionally die, mm-hmm. but it's kind of a disaster, and they have to figure out kind of like they have to work their lives around that. I have creatures that turn into furniture, which is so like weird and cursed, but like that's I kind of find weird lore very like nourishing. You know, I don't know. I'm just like, make it curse. Who cares? (laughs) (laughs) I I can only imagine the spiral notebooks or the word documents that you probably have in place, like just filled with nothing but lore. (laughs) (laughs) I have millions. I have millions and millions and millions. But you know what? You should not be ashamed of that whatsoever because I can only imagine (laughs) the amount of like love and like care you've put into this to create as much of a lived in experience for these again, out-of-this-world characters that no one could ever really imagine <laughs> until you came up with them. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll try and think of it like that. <laughs> I, I might need some access to those Word documents so I can make sure I can catch up on all the... Okay, so the Jabberwocky did this to this... Per- oh, so that's why they're trying yeah. to turn around and do... Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm hoping I really... So I am in the process of writing a book at the moment. Um, it's a slow process. But here's what I realized. Like, I think that, like, when it comes to writing stories, you really have to figure out how you want to do it right. um, and, like, what works for you. And if what works for you is a little bit, like, it's a bit more, it's a di- bit different than what other people are doing, you, just go with it. Like, just do your thing. Um, so I started writing this book. And I hated writing it. I hated it so much. And I was like, why do I hate this? What is it about this that I hate? And then I realized it's because I was creating a story about the lore. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm creating a story that sits at from a, from a narrator's point of view and they're telling the story about the lore that happened. And I find that very boring to write about. Uh, I realized that what I wanted to do is I want to write a book that comes directly from the lore. I want to write a book that the characters in the lore have that talks about the world and like, and like the, you know, and so I kind of had to try and find an interesting angle um, to write that story from. And it is one that involves the reader as a character in the story, but like, I'm trying to navigate making that an enjoyable experience and right. like balance it out from being like cheesy and gimmicky. Um, but yeah, that hopefully that is going to be one of my like little upcoming projects, you know? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm certainly definitely intrigued. Cause I mean, just your little explanation of the lore, like, <laughs> all different characters and such like goodness. If this is just you describing it to me, I can only imagine what <laughs> I can only imagine whenever a pen is to paper and like printed and everything, just how lush and lived in the entire experience can be. Thank you. I really hope it lives up to those expectations. <laughs> I mean if nothing else, I could just always put you in another column like so I need you to explain this a little bit right here. What in the <laughs> fuck is it? <laughs> perfect. That's totally perfect. I love that. I get I don't get much of a chance to talk about my lore just because like you know, like you know, but so any time, any chance I get, I, it's very exciting for me. Is and I it, love listening to people's lore. I love listening. To, I love listening to people's lore as well. Oh my god! I just want people to sit down and just info dump on me. Go for there it. You, go. you know. <laughs> okay, I, I'll ask this because I want a bit of an info dump just with this. What would you say is probably the most unique detail about the entire lore? Like, if you were to say, like, drop this little fact about like something invested in your lore that might okay. change the entire perspective of it, what would it be? Okay. 
So, magic in my lore. Um, so, magic is a very hard thing to create lore about because if you over-explain it, it ruins it. Right. But you have to have some satisfying, something that feels satisfying, something that your brain can latch onto and go, ah, I get it. So, in my lore, um, the it's like there there is a fact in my lore that the future is never set. It's never set in stone. Uh, there are millions of branches of the future that could happen. It's like if you were to, um, it's like, you know, like if, if you're, if you are, um, sorry, my brain just like went totally dead. So, okay. So, so yeah, sorry. Essentially. So you've got the future. Oh my God, my brain. Um, you're fine. You're fine. You're perfect. Um, so you have the future, this sprawling future, this sprawling thicket of possible futures. Okay. And what magic is in my lore is it, it magic happens when the universe does not pick one of those futures. It doesn't pick it to become the present. Um, so so the, the present um, that was not picked, it decays about you and it becomes magic. And because of that, magic loves shenanigans. So, for example, if you were to walk into an unstable building, anything could happen. It could collapse on you. You could be fine. But the second that you walk into that building, magic starts being generated because the universe starts picking more, starts creating all of these possible things that could happen. And so one of the ways to generate magic in my lore is to walk around with your shoes untied because you could trip at any moment. And so the moment that you don't or the moment that you do, uh, the moment that the present is picked, all of those possible outcomes discard and they become magic for you to use and burn. The way that you summon, the way that you create things is that you simply summon it from the decaying, the decaying present that never happened, uh, which means that there is also... There's also limitations to magic in my lore. If okay. if this room was never going to have, I don't know, like a giraffe in it, you can't create a giraffe in here with magic. Um, you know, you you have to find you have to find the the um, threads of the of the of the present that never happened that contain the things that you want in them. Uh, okay. Yeah, sorry that I stumbled through that a little bit. Uh, my brain <laughs> no, went blank. But... I, I, I totally understand. Trust me, it happens to me way more often than I'd like to admit. Um, my, the brain part. But okay, so basically mm -hmm. you're saying that simple choices that could be as simple as me not saying, you know, screw the world to something mm -hmm. as complex as if I want to go into a room doing a cartwheel or something like that, that can mm -hmm. generate magic in one aspect for another because of the yep. decaying timelines because in your world, there's way, there's almost an infinite possibility of how the future could turn yes. out. So your yes. simple decision. And every time it doesn't turn out, yeah, every time it doesn't turn out as one of those things, it decays and, and magic is the decaying is the future that was essentially never picked. Okay. And um, uh, so one of the most magical things about yourself is your hair because that is the most versatile thing as your body. It's like, it's like okay, I can put on any outfit that I want, but the thing on my body that is the most versatile, I could, I could wear my hair up today, I could wear it down, I could wear it. And so what, what um, the magical creatures in my lore do is they they cut their hair and they make uh, magic wands out of them, and the magic wands are like are like paintbrushes. Uh, so you can paint a doorway onto a wall, or you can you can paint uh, like a disguise on your face and become a different person, or uh, or they use them as like as brooms, like magic brooms. And um, so wands in my in my lore are, are like um, they're like they're like brushes, they're like paintbrushes and brooms and makeup brushes and, and, you know, all of that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, 
I feel I felt like I wanted I wanted a, a way that the lore that magic could work that would be interesting. And I think that it's probably one of the most unique things about my lore. It's like um, when the future. It's like because I always used to think about that. Like, all right, like if the if 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 I've got a bomb in here that could go off at any moment, and all of these futures are happening where it doesn't or it does. And then when it does, what it causes, what damage it causes or what damage it doesn't cause. Um, a lot of, a lot of, I think there's a lot of stories that go into like, well, those possible futures are different timelines. And I kind of liked the idea that there is only one timeline, but all of the ones that didn't happen can still influence that one timeline uh, right. through magic. I mean, I know I said unique. That is one of the most unique things I've heard, not just of lore in general, but just of a creative venture. I like it's, it's <laughs> thank you <laughs> it's really interesting and i i if i wasn't already invested before i'm definitely invested now to see more of mm. like how that could affect like whatever timelines these characters you've placed in it because that just seems mm-hmm. again that's just you wow like that's that thank is you. that is very thought out that is very thought out if i didn't say so myself I, i'm I, th- I think I think about it to a fault. And, like, it's like fairies do things to generate magic. Like, they'll walk around. It's like, because also just, like, the belief that something will happen is also enough to cause timelines that don't happen or, or possible futures. Like, like uh, the idea of bad luck uh, will... It's like, because because you believe it could happen, the future kind of is like, well, look, you believe it might happen hard enough, so we'll... We'll put a pin in that one just in case, just in case the, you know, and so fairies walk around inside with umbrellas up because it's bad luck. And because it's bad luck, it generates magic. Uh, it's it's like, it's the description of magic in my lore is that magic loves shenanigans. Um, and and um, anytime that you are doing something precarious, that you're doing something risky, uh, that you're taking a chance and that you're being bold, um, magic, uh, the universe is like, oh shit, this could happen. I, like I don't. This could turn out in so many different ways. Here are all the ways that it could turn out. This infinite, sprawling thicket of futures, and then when it does settle on what what occurs, when it does settle on a present, when it follows one of those pipelines, um, the rest of them just decay away. They peel away and become a sprawling. They become a bonfire of magic for you to burn and and learn about and discover. Yeah. Goodness. Like I said, I I can only imagine the amount of time and effort you've put into this kind of stuff. <laughs> Good yeah, I've been Lord. thinking about it for a while. <laughs> Good, keep, keep thinking about this stuff because again, I'm I definitely want to see more of this stuff. I want to hear more about all this <laughs> stuff because that's I get just that little aspect of it that sort of drives the stuff forward a little bit. If that's like the base for a lot of that stuff, I can only imagine like some of the side effects that <laughs> nothing else. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, uh, um, yeah. So I, I I try and I try and um, I don't know. I feel like I. I really like facts. Um, like I, I value facts so much, and I love to learn. And and finding that balance of explaining and giving a satisfying answer, and then over-explaining and ruining the atmosphere and magic. So that's what over-explaining does. It, it completely it destroys the atmosphere. It destroys the magic. It makes things feel scientific rather than in, like fantastical. Yeah. Um, and finding that balance has been so difficult for me um it's so hard (laughs) but um i've slowly learned how to like hold myself back to reel myself in to be like all right this is where you need to stop this explanation or else it'll become too um 
too wordy. Too sterile. Too yeah, <laughs> too wordy, too sterile, too boring to read through. Um, yeah, but yeah. Well, I mean, you got me at the edge of my seat, or edge of my seat at this point. So, I mean, I again, I certainly would love to see more. Now, I want to ask, again, with all the different creatures that you've developed, especially mm-hmm. with kind of how the, the the presence of all them different, with all this lore and whatnot, what would you say is kind of your proudest piece of artwork or your proudest, you know, bit of art that you've had since you've started this journey? So, it's interesting. So, I, I create a lot of music. I compose a lot of music and i'm very very proud of a lot of my music um i think that so i started i started creating music because i was like i have this world in my head and i'm i'm very interested in looking at it but i also want to be able to hear it and i want to know what it sounds like i want to know what the score is to this place and so i started writing music and a lot of the work that i am really truly like really proud of is is my musical pieces my illustration pieces um I feel very satisfied with pieces where I have really captured that long composition. Um, I feel like my music is so, it's like way more personal to me than the rest of my art. Mm-hmm. It's more personal to me than, than, than my music, uh, than my, fuck, it's more personal to me than my writing, than my artwork. Um, I feel like when I create my music, I feel like I'm taking a step back from the visual direction of my story and I'm creating the score to it, that I'm creating what it sounds and feels like. And I feel like I just, I enjoy it so much. I enjoy making music so much. I I enjoy capturing sounds that feel sneaky and mischievous and, or, or deep and looming and, and haunting. And, and, and I'm, I'm really proud of, I'm really proud of that. Um, and, but I was also saying that picking up which picture I'm the most proud of and saying this is the one that I'm most proud of is, is hard because it's so contextual for me. So, um, like, I can see – I can find a picture and I can say I'm the most proud of how I captured the perspective in this one, whereas another – a picture I can say I'm I'm the most proud of how I captured the expression in this one and the or the or the color scheme. Um, there's no one picture that I feel really proud of right. uh, singularly. It's it's like an amalgamation, you know. It's like um, I do a lot of I do like I'm starting to get back into animating as well, and I'm Ooh. I'm so I'm so happy with what I've created with my animations and pairing pairing it to music or you know like um, so yeah, it's I. It's kind of hard to say. I feel very proud of. I also feel very proud of my lore, um, oh, yeah. and and I feel very proud of, like, I feel very proud of how far I've come in my like art journey. I oh, think yeah. as well. Um, that's something that's was really rocky there for a while, um, and I didn't know what I wanted to do, and and you know, but I, I feel like I kind of like. Because I did so bad in school, um, because I, I just I did I just couldn't hack it uh, the way that some others could. Um, I feel like teaching myself that actually I can learn yeah. within my own structured environments, within my own structured learning environments. I do so well, and so I'm I'm proud of learning that about myself. Um, but yeah, yeah, I wish I had a bit more of a clean cut answer. Like I was like, oh yeah, this picture here. It's- the best one to me <laughs> but it's a bit more complex than that for me if i may say when it comes to this conversation when have we had a clean cut answer in the first place for any yeah. of your stuff 
Yeah, I know. Especially when it comes to your passion, I'm always a person to where if you're passionate about something, you should let it flow no matter what. And I feel like with Mm -hmm. you, with all these different aspects that you have that you should be proud of, that all these different ones that you are personally proud of, it shouldn't take away, you know, any less of your artwork. If anything, it should reinforce it a million times more of why your art is yeah. incredible in the first place. It goes back to thank the, you. Uh, <laughs> yes, like because because you definitely had a lot of love and passion, especially with the art journey that you talked about at the beginning of the episode. Like, it, it's hard not to see just how invested you are with this stuff, and I I can only imagine like going forward, like how insane it can be. Yeah, I feel like I feel like. In a lot of ways, you have to be your own biggest fan. Like, yes. nobody else is going to draw my characters. I have to be oh the one to God. do it. Nobody, you know? I, <laughs> yeah, you know? I, I, I was going to say, like, your, that aesthetic right there is the same thing that I do with this podcast. That's why I run mm. this podcast. Because one of those, like, mm. I'm a huge fan of art. And I love, like, seeing the stuff that's put out there. But mm. a lot of the time, and you could probably attest to this, like, a lot of art can be posted out there. But there's, like, no credit to who did it. Like, they, they, oh, they, yeah. they love the piece, but they don't really know much about the artist behind it and i wanted to get yeah. like the artists that i wanted to see those artists get that platform and get that love so at the end of the day i'm like well fuck no one else is gonna do it fuck yeah. it i'll do it <laughs> yeah you gotta be yeah hell yeah i think that's so good that's the type of thing that like i find so exciting and so motivating and it's like yeah nobody else is gonna create theme tunes for my characters i've got to be the one to do it and so I do, and I did, and and like nobody else is going to write my story, or and so I have to be my biggest advocate for my for what I'm creating, you know. Yes. And I think that finding that passion within yourself, though, is also it can also be very very hard, you oh, know. And it like, is. <laughs> yeah, and 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 feeling confident enough in yourself is can also be really really hard. I struggled with that for a really long time, you know, and. And I think that um, learning to be your own biggest advocate is also so, like it's a, that's also a, a skill, you know. <laughs> it, it, it is it is a skill and it is a lesson that's hard to learn. But you also got to understand that uh, it goes back to like you know the art you create or whatnot. If no one mm-hmm. else is gonna love you know what you're doing, who else is going to? You know? Who else is gonna do it? You got to do it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's um, that's something that I learned. You know, but and it's something. It's also it's also though sometimes it's something that you know, but not something that you feel. But you just have to give yourself time and patience. You know. Right, absolutely. I mean, I know you certainly gotten others people's attention with your artwork and such, and there are certain you certainly developed quite a few fans just based on your artwork. <laughs> I imagine that probably led to your involvement with this upcoming zine or zine or however you pronounce it, of the Regalia yeah. of the Wretched. Yes, I am. So it's so Regalia of the Wretched is going to be my first work that you can purchase ever Ooh. like i've i've never published anything before this um and so i feel so i feel so honored and so humbled to be a part of it and it is i've seen all of the artwork that is going into it i've seen all of the illustrations and they are just <laughs> delicious like they are so the, the seriously they some of the artists in here oh no all of the artists in here are just magnificent um in within the scene and i cannot uh, I think that the pre-orders close in, on Halloween. Yes, exactly. Um, so if you have it right now, there'll be a link in the description below. You'll definitely be able to, yes, to get it please. there. Um, so yeah, I, being able to be a part of that was really exciting. And actually, I should say, I am incredibly proud of the piece that I did for 
for um, this scene. I think that it was like, it was a bit of like a turning point with like working, because I was working in such a professional structured environment and the mod team behind Regalia for the Wretched is so, they're just like, they were so fantastic, so clear cut, so helpful, um, you know, great, great, great team to work with. Oh, yeah. And then it's just the the work in there is incredible. Yeah, I can't recommend it highly enough. Well, uh, how did you be, uh, become aware of the zine in the first place? Did they approach you and be like, hey, we love your artwork. Would you like to be a part of this? Or is it something that you searched out on your own? I searched it out on my own. Okay. So that, uh, I yeah, so I managed to, I just came across it. Like I came across like an, uh, it was like an interest check for it. Okay. So they, they put out an interest check and then they put out like uh, you, you like sign up, you, you know, you show your artwork to them, you sign up, you. Uh, and so um, I was so interested in it. Uh, when the interest check came across, it's like, so it's a zine about like eldritch creatures and fashion and opulent balls and all of those delicious um, atmospheric aesthetic things. It's right up um, your alley. Yeah, it's so up my alley. I love fashion <laughs> and weird creatures and monsters and, and magic. I love all of it. There you go. Um, and so I found, yeah, I just found it through the interest check. And so then I followed them and then I applied to be an artist and they were like, yeah, yeah. And I, I was lucky enough to be picked. Um, there's like there's like 50 plus artists that contribute to this scene and it's like 100 pages. It's just, it is such good stuff. It is such good stuff. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, how's, I must know, like as someone that was hoping to be a part of it and being part of it, how does it feel to be among one of the many artists of the macabre and the grotesque? Oh yes. Yeah. Uh, it's awesome. Like I, I feel like I, there's so many artists that do incredible macabre and grotesque, um, art and subjects. And, and, and I'm so, there's so many that I'm so inspired by and, um, to see them all, to see so many of them bundled up and packaged with this beautiful opulent bow within this scene, uh, was really, really exciting. Um, and getting to work alongside some of my, like, Oh my God, some of my favorite artists was also really, really, really fun. Well, yeah. I'm glad to hear it was a good experience. And especially for those again, pre-orders in on Halloween, they, if they haven't pre-ordered, mm-hmm. they need to now. It certainly it, it, yeah. it has to be amazing, especially if you're involved yeah. at this point. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, Thank you. Well, we've been talking for a good bit about all sorts of different aspects of your art, all sorts of stuff that you're mm-hmm. invested in, all sorts of different lore you're definitely invested in. Um, mm. So I have to ask, well, I want to bring you into more or less the dream scenario. Let's say mm-hmm. I come up to you in big shot, Mr. Moneybags, and I'm like, look, mm-hmm. uh, Jabberwick, every little piece of artwork you produce is absolutely outstanding, and we cannot get enough of it, and we know that you can provide a lot. We have ac- I have access to everyone and everyone, and I have more money than there should be possible. Jesus Christ, why am I not giving this back to the poor people? It doesn't <laughs> matter. Um, if given the opportunity... What would be the dream Jabberwick project? That's a really good question. I think that I would want to, I would want to put out a book series. Um, I want to put like, so I'm not necessarily interested in creating a a graphic novel. I don't want to create a a book that is as reliant, that is heavily, heavily reliant on images. I want to create like, like a picture book almost for, you know, for like, like teenagers and young adults. But ultimately, um, I 
it comes back to Leica Studios. It, it really does. My absolute dream is stop motion animation. Um, okay. It's I, I would love a stop motion animation project based within my lore. I think that the texture of of stop motion animation, the 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 that beautiful like knobbly movement, I think that it would be so fitting. I think that that long term is like. If if I could have my dreams come true, I, I would want to see a stop motion film uh, based on my characters and, and lore. I think that would be so incredible and so much fun. Um, yeah, but besides that, like I I really want to create a book series. Um, I I want to create stories, even if they're just short stories. Like even if they're just like you know like short poems or or you know um, or short stories or books from the lore or, or, you know, um, I think that that's what I'm kind of pining for at the moment. Um, and I really hope people like, I, I really hope that people enjoy what I, what I, the stories that I have to tell, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, you've already gained a, a new fan like more than ever with me. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I, I will say though, it would be amazing how full circle it would be if you did get that opportunity with like a studios. Cause in fact, that they're, they're, like, the biggest inspiration for you then turn around yeah. like, making a, a, the dream project to go with it. I, yeah. That, mm -hmm. I mean, it's a good dream and I sincerely hope you get yeah. that. But, <laughs> Thank you. But sadly, we have to come down from the dream scenario a little bit. We got to get uh, back to I reality. Know. And I'll ask Such a shame. And I'll ask the ever so generic question. Where do you hmm. hope to see yourself 5 to 10 years from now? Um that is a really good question. Um I don't know. Uh I hope I all I can really hope 5 to 10 years from now uh, I hope that I'm making work that I, I hope that I'm still making work that I really enjoy making. Mm -hmm. um, I hope that I am happy. And if I have progressed in my um, adventures and endeavors, and if I, if I am publishing a book, if I, if I am, you know, working on uh, like maybe like a mini comic series or I hope that whatever I'm doing, I'm happy. That's, that's all it really comes down to. Um, I am going to potter away at my projects and if they go somewhere, that's great. And if they don't, I enjoy making them while I make them, you know, and that's all that really matters to me. Um, okay. yeah, I think that wherever I am, I just hope that I'm happy. I, I hope so too. I sincerely hope so <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> Well, as we start wind down the interview, I just have one last question that I want to ask. Obviously, like mm -hmm. it should go without saying how invested you are with art as a whole and all sorts of different mm. aspects. And who knows mm. how many more you might pick up. Maybe you might develop the little mime thing just like your uncle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll just become a mime artist. We'll do another interview and I'll sit here and I'll be miming the wall, you know? <laughs> it's like all your answers will be like, you know, you know, the wall you know oh, i'll have to do a pantomime i'll have to act everything out <laughs> there you go. but nevertheless like with how deeply entrenched you are with art at this point how important is art not just for you but for the world as a whole i think it is oh my god it is so important in so many different facets like my artwork is important to me you know um and that's all that matters to me is that it's something that i'm enjoying doing and i think that um I think that artwork as a whole is it is such an important like we we evolved to do it we evolved to to create 
to create things because it is so entrenched in who we are as people. And I think that um, I think that there, I think that we need to be encouraged to make art, make things so that you can make something, you know, make things because it makes you feel good, make things because you enjoy doing it. Um, that is so important to me. That is such an important thing to teach people. It is such an important thing to be consciously aware of. I think that, you know, like the arts are criminally like underfunded and, and all of that, um, especially, especially cultural arts, um, like especially like, um, I, yeah, I don't know. It is, it is such a cornerstone of who we are as human beings. Um, and, and I think that it is deeply, deeply important, you know, like, yeah. I mean, I personally could not agree more. Um, it's a wonderful mm. way to word it, if I do say so myself. <laughs> um, Jabberwick, I've already showered you with a bunch of praise, but I'm going to show you with some more because it's my podcast. I do what I want. Uh, <laughs> um, I already told you how invested I instantly was just by seeing your art alone, just kind of seeing the, the creepy tension that you create, the atmosphere that you sort of invested in it to create this like unsettling but yet satisfying aura to it that I just could not get enough of and I thought was perfect for like Halloween. But sitting here and getting the chat with you and hearing not just, you know, how much you invested in an image like that but how much you have invested in the world behind it and invested in all sorts of different aspects of it is something mm -hmm. that i have fallen in love with and i <laughs> thank you so much i crave every little bit of it that you get because i know that whatever you're gonna be producing what you've been producing and what you're gonna be producing here on forth is with nothing but love and passion for what you're developing <laughs> Because that's what an artist should be doing. They should be following their love. They should be following their passion. Yeah, they should be doing the totally. stuff that they want to see out in the world. And mm -hmm. if you want to make the Jabberwocky the main thing that the people see in the world, fucking go for it. <laughs> I love it. Hell I, yeah. I, I, I want to I, – I cannot wait for what you're doing from this forward – from yeah, from this point forward. Words are wonderful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they are. Um what I'm trying to say is I'm absolutely invested and I'm going to be rooting for you every single step of the way with every new Thank thing you that you're so going to be producing. That, that means more to me than you can imagine. That really, that means so much to me. And I'm so glad that you enjoy what I'm creating. Um, I'm enjoying making it, you know? <laughs> I, I, then keep on making it. That's all I can say at this point. <laughs> Um, thank you so much. Well, thank thank you for your time. Now, for those who may not already know for one reason or another, go ahead and plug yourself for the people at home. Where can they find you? Ah, uh, uh, You can find me on Twitter at uh, Jabberwick underscore art. Uh, you can find me on uh, Tumblr uh, at Jabberwick. You can find me on like TikTok at Jabberwick, um, jabberwick.com. Uh Make sure if you are interested in the uh, the zine that you do get your pre-orders in before Halloween. So much love and work went into it, and it is uh, I'm so excited about finally people finally getting it. You know, getting that product, and oh, it's just exciting. Uh, but yeah, um, I have appreciated coming on this podcast so much. It's been so much fun being allowed to ramble and info dump. I really, really appreciate it. <laughs> you know what? This is, it's the kind of podcast I always crave. Yeah. I always love the info dump yeah. more than anything else. Um, yeah. And for any of those that may have missed any of the links, I'll be sure to have them down in the description below. I got y'all covered. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> nice. Do you have any final words before we sign off? Um, in the most sincere, from the most sincere place possible 
Um, make things that you enjoy making. I think that that's a, such an important message to me. Make what you enjoy making. And, you know, like, the world needs more of that. Um, you know, do what, do what you feel passionate about um, if you have that opportunity. Um, and be happy in yourself and love yourself. Love your work, you know. You deserve it. Be your own biggest advocate. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> With that, all I have left to say is for the people at home, hasta the way, amigos. Thanks for listening to the Apocalypse Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, go to ApocalypsePodcastNetwork.com. And remember, every time you support one of our sponsors, you're supporting the podcast you just heard. I cannot thank Jabberwick for sitting down and getting the chance to tell their story on the podcast because, oh my God, I don't know about you guys, but this was a rejuvenating conversation for me. I'm just, just seeing the wealth of passion that just flows from them talking about, you know, their lore and such. Like I, I was made aware of this artist thanks to Tipsy. And I will forever thank her a million times over for introducing me to them. But looking at art and then hearing the story and the love and the passion behind it made me officially a number one fan for Jabberwick. That's what I always try to illustrate with this podcast. You know, I, I love that passion. I love the love that they exude, you know? Because... You know, like they said, you know, if you're going to put yourself out there, make sure it's for something that you love more than anything else. I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I really got that perfect snapshot of a soul, more or less, with Jabberwick. And once again, I cannot thank them enough. They were a wonderful guest to have on. Uh... Speaking of guests, I'm going to walk back a little bit of my statement that I made towards the end of last week's episode. Um, with the guests that I have planned for you guys, I might get all the way through November. <laughs> the The issue for me is not planning guests like on the schedule itself or whatnot. My problem is I booked way too many guests and then guests fell out and then I had to get new guests and like that entire scramble really got to me <laughs> it was it was a it was a tall order but um i i got it somewhat settled down you know i got a good couple of interviews lined up for you guys and i got some incredible guests that i can't wait for you guys to to hear more about um 
I'm I'm still looking for a few more. There's a couple that I'm trying to to pine for in one instance or another. That I just know the conversation is gonna be incredible for you guys. Um, you know, anything to just kind of get my name out there, <laughs> which which lead me to a an incredible situation. Uh, before work the other day, I was just looking on Twitter. And there was a local wrestling production, or promotion, I should say, that was like, hey, we need sponsors. Now, I I have tried to see if I could potentially sponsor stuff before. Um, the biggest example of that was wanting to sponsor Stranger Than Christian and his podcast. But then I became part of the Apocalypse Podcast Network. That's a whole different story. Um, but, you know, I saw... You know, hey, we're looking for sponsors for our next wrestling event. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I could just get a feeler out. And, uh, well, you're looking at an official sponsor for Atlanta Wrestling Entertainment's November pay-per-view. <laughs> you know, life works weirdly like that. But you know what? I, I want to support artists in one aspect for another. And I think wrestling is an art. I, I've, I've illustrated that before. But, you know, I'm hoping... If this is your guys' first time listening because of that, I appreciate it. And I am trying as hard as I can to maybe get a wrestler on here. There's one in particular that I'd love to talk to. I think I might have the connection, but I can't guarantee anything. But, you know, you never know. If I've learned anything with any of the guests I've had on, you would be surprised who'd want to talk if just asked. You know, Jabberwick is a great example of that because their artwork is absolutely outstanding. And it's incredible to, like, truly see, like, the, the presence and emotion and, like, the subliminal messages that, like, really get to you by looking at their art. But they never had been on a podcast before. Or if they have, I wasn't aware of it. But like being able to express that stuff, that that's golden. That's beautiful. That needs to be captured more often than not. That's why I want to bring these artists on here. I want them to gush. I want them to go all out. And I hope that I'm able to continue this journey for a while. And I hope you guys are going to be right there alongside with me. Because... I want everyone to appreciate these artists as much as I do. That's why as much as this stuff might bring me down at times, as much as I let this stuff get to my head at times, it is a labor of love at the end of the day. And it's going to take a lot for me to stop. Because I am loving it so far. And I hope you guys get to love it with me. And share it to others that you know will absolutely love it. You know, I shared it with some coworkers recently. Let them know, hey, I got a podcast. And I got one that is like my biggest fan. Well, not my biggest, but he's a huge fan right now. And I cannot, like every single time I get to talk to him about just topics in general, like it's it's great. And I love, I, I appreciate the fact that he actually enjoys the conversation. So, so yeah. So, yeah. My last word for you guys is that, you know, Halloween is this upcoming weekend, you know, 
it, it, it should be fun. Be safe out there more than anything else. But have some fun. You know, this is the time to where the mind wanders and in one aspect for another, maybe creativity can flow. Chase that creativity. But more than anything else with any of this stuff, have some fun. That's what needs to happen at the end of the day. Happy Halloween, you guys. Be safe.